Hey everyone, it's cl- I'm glad to be back from Johnny and Friends, and normally you say, well, he shouldn't be back by- from Johnny and Friends, but I only had to go 40 miles to go to Johnny and Friends this time, to Muskegon, to Maranatha, and um, as you're getting ready for Joshua chapter 24 and turning there, you hear it? Yeah. Uh, Joshua 24 and turning there, all right, way to go. Um, I'm going to tell you just one story. Now, first of all, please continue praying for Pastor Cameron and the 19 students and uh, leaders that he has traveling back today uh, from the Owensboro, uh, Kentucky uh, mission trip. And I'm praying that uh, they really met Jesus there, but they also were able to deliver uh, through their hands and through their feet the message of the gospel by taking care of um, some rehabilitation of some homes there, but also by having fellowship with multiple churches um, through the project of World Changers. It's their second year doing that, so be in prayer for them. I also want to acknowledge, hey, Nicholson family, it's nice to have you at worship here this morning, and your church loves you. Um, wanted to acknowledge them too. Okay, let's pray. And I'm going to tell you just one story from Johnny and friends, and we'll get rolling into Joshua chapter 24. Uh, Father in heaven, just simply submit again to your word and ask that you put an angel at the door of my mouth, that everything would uh, be of your Holy Spirit here this morning, that in our training, instruction, and righteousness through the word of God, that we would receive these words as the very words of God, that we would not be hearers, only but doers of your word we pray in Christ's name amen all right well the book of Joshua chapter 24 and there we go and um, while I was at Johnny and friends I went there hoping to see the Lord and meet with the Lord there um, this time with 300 people that I did not know I did not know anyone there it was kind of like when I crossed the Michigan state line for the first time I crossed the Muskegon line and went into Maranatha finally got to preach in the tabernacle so now I truly am sanctified because I've preached in the tabernacle um, uh, at Muskegon at Maranatha and uh, there are a million stories that I could tell but I'm just going to tell you you won just so that first of all you recognize that hey Johnny and friends is just 40 miles away and it happens in June and I'd love to recruit some of you to become a part of teams that go up there to serve at Johnny and friends my daughter finally got to be a short-term missionary there after waiting her whole life from literally from birth all the way until now she got to go and serve there at Johnny and friends with Landon Van Every, the Van Every's daughter um And uh, they had a unique person, for sure, um, that they were buddies to up there at Johnny and Friends. But there's this one fellow named Bruce, and Bruce was probably about uh, 65 years old, but he was a short-term missionary. He was not a parent that was there. He was a short-term missionary. And he was assigned to a young man, probably under 30 years of age, named Joshua, and another fella named named Young Nam. Young Nam is of of some uh, Asian descent. Um, we didn't really get into it, but when I say Young Nam, that is the the name of the person. I know you're unfamiliar with it, but but he's not. And so Young Nam and Bruce were assigned to Joshua. Now, normally you don't have two assigned to just one buddy. Usually it's a one-on-one situation, but Joshua had um, a, a disability that affected his brain and also caused him to possibly have seizures. 
And so you had to be constant and vigilant in watching Joshua and making sure that he didn't seize up and bite his tongue or uh, do something that could be truly life-threatening to his body. And so it was the kind of thing where um, if young Nam had to go get Joshua his lunch, that Bruce had to sit there right there with Joshua and watch him. So there was always someone watching Joshua the whole time. You know, except for when, when he goes to sleep at night, when he goes back to the room uh, with his mom, who is his adoptive mother, by the way. And so it was just tremendous to watch young Nam and uh, Bruce constantly walking with Joshua. And that's another thing is he was very kinetic. He had to be moving all of the time. And so Josh would literally put three to four miles in a day just walking around the campus. He just wanted to keep on walking and walking and walking and walking. He spoke in short sentences like, walk now, eat now, I'm hungry, things like that. So he could communicate some to Bruce and to young Nam. Well, uh, I watched them be the front guard, the rear guard, the side guard of Joshua all week. And then we come to the talent show, which is the last night. It's a Thursday night uh, when, it, when it happens. And so you can imagine nearly as many people as are seated right here, probably more, about 30 or 40 more people. Should I move away, Tyler? Should I move back up here? Or is, it's just you are two weeks away, congregation, from this problem being fixed with a complete overhaul. Just want you to know. Um, and so uh, we're at the talent show. And so we've got people going up there and singing the Star Spangled Banner. And it was the most easily blessed audience you could ever imagine. Everyone is cheering every person, whether they're a wheelchair user or whether um, they have some other form of disability. They're going up there and they're dancing. They're dancing to the Lord. They're singing to the Lord. They're even being comedic to the Lord. We watched an arm wrestling competition between two wheelchair users, you know, and we cheered them on. It was absolutely fantastic. But Bruce, because he was with Joshua, he didn't see the talent show because his back was to the talent show the entire time. So while all of you, including me, were, would be seated in the tabernacle, Bruce is seated up against the back of the benches of the tabernacle watching Joshua and keeping a vigilant eye upon him. How does that remind you of God? Right? His eye is on the sparrow. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. God walks, he walks to and fro about the earth, searching for those whose hearts are completely his to show himself strong for them. God is a front guard, a rear guard, but he calls us also to be sober and to be vigilant. And so, so Bruce, I run into Bruce on Friday morning and I just say, Bruce, man, I, I tell you, it's been incredible watching you. And he says something nice to me about sermons or something like that. And I said, Bruce, I just got to know your story. Just tell me a little bit of your story. And he says, uh, well, you know, the reason why I think I got assigned to Joshua is I'm real familiar with, with seizures and epilepsy. And then he went on to explain that his first two children were born with a condition that caused multiple seizures. His firstborn, his daughter, he spent five hours with her before she went to heaven. And then a son, he didn't, didn't make it to his uh, 18th month birthday. And so after hearing that, those crushing stories that he, he buried two of his infant children, I said, and you're here serving? And here was his answer. His answer was, well, yeah. And I just, in my heart, I said, oh, God, I could give you more. 
Oh God, I, I, could, I could lay down my life more. Here's a guy who has truly had several punches to the stomach, right? He's, he's experienced some real tragedy in his life and some real hardship in his life, and it could have turned his heart away from God, but instead he ran to Jesus to serve him. How incredible is that? Praise God for a guy like Bruce that can watch after the Joshua's because he reminds me of the pursuit of God in my life and, and the care of God in my life. Hey, let's take a look at Joshua 24 here this morning. Next week, we're going to start looking at Psalm 23, probably for the entire month of July. The Lord is my shepherd. As we head into a communion experience next week, we will tackle just simply that first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. But today in the Word, we're going to discover that faithfulness to God is a result of knowing His faithfulness to us, inspiring us to live by His power and by His grace. Now, when we come to Joshua 24, we know that Joshua 1 through 23 has already occurred. We know that the Deuteronomic law has, has been given to the Israelites. We know that they've uh, been 40 years in the wilderness, that they've entered into the promised land. Where we are is very important for us to understand the context of the challenge that Joshua is going to give to us at this point. And so it's at this point where Joshua is about 110 years of age. Imagine that the warrior Joshua the military leader Joshua but he's not just a military leader he's a servant and he's a spokesperson for God to Israel and it appears that they have been about 25 years in the nation or since they crossed the Jordan and took Jericho quickly taking I as a stronghold and then establishing themselves um, as a religious center at Shechem and, and creating a southern group and a northern group of defending nations as they are taking that land so that's the context of where we are we, they're in the land. That if you go back and look through Joshua, there was, there was lots of lands that the peoples didn't initially take that they were supposed to take. And Joshua had to challenge them to do that. The people uh, groups went into that land. And so they are now, because they have left Egypt, they've left the wilderness, they've entered back into the land that God had promised to their people, that God had brought Abram to out of Ur of the Chaldeans into the land of Cana again. They are back in that place which God promised to them. And so this is a moment of truth. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness. Twenty-five years of taking that promised land. There is now no turning back. And why would there be? You know, there's a spiritual concept there when we say no turning back. We even sang this morning, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And why would we turn back? Back to bondage? Back to hopelessness? Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Why return to a yoke of slavery? Why would we want to return to the hopelessness and the helplessness of being in a sinful estate? These pe people had grandparents, the hearers of Joshua and Joshua 24. They had grandparents who were slaves under the harsh treatment of Pharaoh, a different lord and master in Egypt. They had parents who were under the discipline of God for their unbelief, who were locked out of the promised land. Think of their recent heritage in history. 
Think all, all you have to do is think back to their grandparents to know that in their hearts there would be a longing for freedom, a longing for possession, a longing for the God who promised to give them land, to make them a people, and to be a blessing to them, a longing for them to possess all of that. And their children of war, their children of fight, there are people that had to go and possess. They had to go and fight for this possession. And this possession, it was taken. It was largely taken for them by God. And your warrior God, he sent Jesus down into the world so that he would fight the battle of sin for us, so that Jesus would remove the hostility between us and God. When we, in our unbelief, live in our sinful nature, Jesus came and demonstrated God's love for us and that he died for us as sinners. You are a fought-for person. God has fought for your soul through his son, Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ contends that Jesus came to end all of that hostility, all of that sin, to remove that persecution of the curse, that living in a land that doesn't belong to us because we were meant for better. We were meant for something greater. We were meant for holiness, to come and to defeat death and all of its sting, to replace a depraved, broken, sinful heart with a new heart created in Christ to be the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus did for us. That's how Jesus fought for us. And so they are at a moment of truth. There's a decision that has to be made. There's a calling together of the people. Plus, we're at the conclusion of a chapter of their lives. A chapter that says, do you see what unbelief does? It forces you to wander around in a wilderness, in a place where you don't belong. Do you want to have lords and masters over you like you had back in Egypt? It's the conclusion of, the, of a chapter, and it's the beginning of a new day. These will be the people who possess the prom promised land. The state of Israel is going to be established, and Joshua is critically concerned. In Joshua 23 and 24, but in Joshua 24, he's critically concerned about the people having the ability to be faithful to their covenant-making God, because this is what he's going to establish with him. He's going to say, God's a covenant-making God. He's going to reach all the way back to the faithfulness of God in his first call to Abram. To choose Abram and to make a people out of Abram and to be the covenant God of Abram, Abram always pledging his faithfulness to this people, Israel. We're going to see this morning... We're going to discover that faithfulness to God is a result of knowing his faithfulness to us. And it inspires us to live by his power and by his grace. And so if you look down at our passage for study, Joshua 24, and look at verses 1 through 13 first, we're going to see three reasons why we should be faithful. And the first reason is the primary one. It's the overarching one. It's the umbrella reason. It's because God has been faithful. Imagine being a part of this heritage and this lineage of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. It says there, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. 
So there was an in-gathering. There was a, after all of this possessing and stuff, that it must have taken time for, for this to happen. He summoned the elders, and so he got the word to them, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And so this is a spiritual ceremony. This is a spiritual act. This is dripping with meaningfulness and spiritual significance as it gathers the people. And it says there in verse 2, And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Joshua is saying, I am a spokesperson for God now. Where are you willing to be a spokesperson for God? Are you willing to speak Christ into your children, into your grandchildren? Are you willing to be a spokesperson for God, for what God desires in another heart or life? Are you willing to face even the pushback of people who don't want to possess the land that is theirs in Christ? Joshua stands up and he's a spokesperson for God. And he says, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. He's talking about the land of Ur, away from Cana before Abram moved. And he says, then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all of the land of Canaan. And made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, right? And in, in that statement, I gave him Isaac. We, if, if, if we are the Israelites there and we're standing there, we understand what I gave him Isaac means. It means I broke through impossibility with a very old man and a very old woman, a woman who was barren and childless her whole life. And I brought my seed, and I delivered Isaac to Sarah and to Abraham. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, another miraculous story that comes from there. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. He's following the story of God's faithfulness now. And now they're in, in, in Egypt, and so we're turning just a tiny little corner from the story of Genesis, all the faithfulness of God in Gen Genesis. And now we're turning a corner to the book of Exodus and how that is recalled. But first we have to understand, what did God do just in the Genesis period? Well, first of all, he covenanted himself to Israel. He said, I will be your God. I pledge my faithfulness to you. And so in doing so, he moved the people from worshiping other gods. He took Abraham out of a God worship, God's worshiping center in Ur and brought him into Canaan and said, I am now the God, the only God, and only will you worship me. In verse 2, he calls himself the, he calls himself the Lord God of Israel, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, declaring that he is a covenant-making God. God covenanted himself to Israel. We're reminded in, the, in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. You not only belong to God, but you belong to a God who is faithful to you. Second, God miraculously made and preserved a people. These people were made from miracles. This people that was made, they were made from miracles. A barren mother, Sarah, who laughs at the suggestion that she will become pregnant with child. 
And Isaac is born. And then Jacob. And then the tribes of Israel. Joseph, who was not even cared for by his own brothers. His own brothers could not be faithful to him. God is faithful to him. And finally sending him down to Egypt where he's going to spare the entire nation. These people were made for miracles. Abraham and Sarai were too old to have children and God provides. Isaac and the reversal of the firstborn right with Jacob, these people would know. God has worked through barren wombs. God has worked through impossible situations. God makes a way, says Babby Mason, where there seems to be no way. And we are called to be a people of the way-making God. We're called to be people of faith. We're called to believe in this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this miraculous way-making God. That's who we're called to be. God spared Joseph, even when God's people, his very brothers, would not spare Joseph. Isn't that amazing? God is working for me even when I'm working against him. Take that, just that statement and apply it this week in your life. God's working for me even when I, in my stubbornness, in my rebellion, in my lethargy, in my apathy, I am working against him. And Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the goads? (laughs) I'm unstoppable. And that was me. That was me for five and a half years watching Jesus start to be lived out of my father and my mother after they came to know Christ as Savior, knowing that God was working all around me but still wanting to resist. And so Genesis is summed up in just those first four verses. The faithfulness, the covenant of God is summed up in just those four verses. And then we begin in the fifth verse, looking at the God who delivered Israel from her enemies. Look at the, at the fifth verse. We are moved now to the period of the Exodus. And it says in verse 5, And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen uh, to the Red Sea. Again, death imminent. Again, impossibility. And they cried to the Lord. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And he made the sea come up upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, he arose and fought against Israel and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. I don't listen to other gods. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Mosquitoites, all of them. Man, plagued with bugs everywhere around them. And I gave them into your hand. God delivered Israel from her enemies. And we say today in Christ Jesus, deliver me. Where's your fight? Where's your enemy? Where's your imagined enemy? Are you the enemy? 
God defeats Egypt. He defeats Pharaoh, and he delivers through impossible escape plan and then delivers against impossible odds against all of these people who know the land, who know the terrain, who are already built up as a people. God delivers them. But our faith is encouraged when we see a God that can defeat any enemy. And Paul shares with the church in Rome, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. God's a conqueror. There's a man who's a father of disability. He lives down in Charlotte, and I met him in the second year at Johnny and Friends that we were serving in 1998 or 99, something like that. His name's Tom Liska, and he's a doctor, and he married a beautiful girl, and, and uh, he got his medical license and began to practice, and uh, he, he planned to go into private practice and just make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and to live in a big house and have a boat and to take four weeks of vacation and go to Hawaii and, and, and go to the beach and to have a second house and maybe even a mountain house and a third house and all that other stuff. And then his daughters were born. Twins. Elizabeth and Haley. Elizabeth completely able-bodied, nothing, nothing wrong with her. And then sweet Haley, she's born with Down's syndrome. And Tom is just thrown for a loop. He doesn't get it. You know, my life was supposed to be perfect. My life was supposed to all work out. Everything was going smoothly until right now. And Tom was faced to confront God and to ask the questions, the hard questions, is, is God for me or is God against me? Is disability something that God doesn't have his hands around? Is my shallow theology and my shallow faith standing in the way of seeing what God can do? And through the circumstance of Haley being born and through the circumstance of Tom realizing that he is not Superman, that he was going to become needy. He was going to have to rely upon faithfulness of others. He was going to have to ask for help. Tom explained to me on a car ride from a waterfall on a Wednesday at Johnny and Friends that through all of that, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And as he stares through the front glass of the car that we were riding in, he just kind of got quiet for a second. And about 20 seconds later, he said, thank God for Haley. God can defeat any enemy. He delivers Israel from her enemies. How encouraging is that to us? God conquered the Amorites. He defeated the faith-extinguishing curses of Balaam. He defeated the leaders of Jericho. And if we read three more verses, 12 through 14, God fought for the promised blessings. God's name is at stake. He promised these blessings. If he does not fight for them, he's not worth following. And it says, verse 12, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwelt in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. What's the hornet there? I, I sent the hornet. Well, most conservative scholars suggest that it's the fear and dread that the other nations have of this single God of Israel. Hear these other nations? They've got plenty of gods that they can call on. 
They're polytheistic. If one God doesn't work, they'll call the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. But Israel's got one God when they've got dozens. And just invoking the name of their God and hearing their promise-making God tell them that he will fight for them, the strength of other peoples melted before the Israelites. God sent the hornet. But we should see the contrast at how little the people, act, the people of Israel actually did. God sent a hornet ahead of them. He scattered the people ahead of them. And God will characterize those battles and the conquer of the land as you didn't, you didn't do much. And that's faith, isn't it? That's my life. I'm a I really didn't do much person. I'm a person trusting in Jesus. I'm a person that Jesus died for. I'm a, I didn't really do much person. God was my battler. The battle belonged to the Lord. The battle was won for me in Jesus. The people's hearts just melted, just melted by hearing what God could do. I'm a one-heart-at-a-time person, and I'm one-heart-at-a-time, and I want you to know that I'm out there, and I'm sharing, and I worked on a neighbor a little bit yesterday, but two weeks ago, before I went to Johnny and Friends, I went to the gas station, and my young men's group, you know who I'm talking about, I went to go and see this guy, uh, Corey, and uh, post-surgery, and Corey was there with a new partner working at night, and um, I won't tell you her name, um, because I don't have permission to share that, um, but she, she was there, and so I go there, and I start um, sharing a, another portion of my testimony and talking with Corey and asking how he's feeling and stuff like that. And Corey says, look, I gotta go change trash cans. I gotta do all these things. And so this, this young lady that's there, she says, well, I, I, I really identify with what you're saying. And she does that whole Samaritan woman thing at the well, you know, like, well, our people worship here. So she gets real church and religious and she goes, well, my mom, I think she's like a Baptist or something and this and this and this. And I say, no, I really don't care. Didn't, it doesn't matter. I said, I said, if you give me five minutes, I can, I can tell you about what God can do in, in your life. And I, I shared my testimony very quickly. And I said, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter which Bible that you're reading. What matters is, is that you acknowledge that, that God through his son, Jesus Christ, loves you so much that he came to die for you. And, and in doing that, that he can take you and give you a new life, a life that you've always wanted, that your soul is longing for. And, and God is calling you to do that. I can't tell you her name again, but God is calling you, you, you to do that. And her heart just melted right there and tears started to come into her eyes. And I said, I said, hey, he's got my phone number. You copy it down and you call any time that you want. Went home and told my wife that I talked to a girl at a gas station, okay? But here's my phone number. You call me whenever you want to so we can talk more about Jesus. And she said, I just might do that. I go in two days later, two days later, and Corey says, she gone. She gone. I said, what? He shared the circumstances. She moved back to Saginaw to be with her mother. All the, all, a lot of things happened to cause her to do that, and, and she quit her job there at the station, and, and basically it's the last chance, the last chance, church, for me to share with her the truth of the gospel. I'm so glad that God gave me that opportunity to see her heart melt. Who's your one heart at a time? Who are your one heart at a time people? You never know when you'll have the last opportunity 
for God to go before you and to share with them. We are a one God people. We're not a many God's people. We're not a rely upon ourselves. We're not a turn ourselves into a God people. We are a one God people. Just as the psalmist David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. God fought for the promised blessings of his people and the heart's of surrounding people melted before him. Also, God's strength and power went before Israel. What do you see when you consider the summary of the Israelites' experience over the past years that they've had with God since his calling of Abraham? What do you see? You see that God was the provider, God was the protector for them during the entire period. The people could not argue that God was impersonal or that God was inattentive. They could not acknowledge that they, in their powerlessness against multiple enemies, were, uh, they could only acknowledge that they were carried by the strong hand of God. What are your strong hand of God stories? Have you written them down? Have you journaled them? Have you passed them to your children and maybe to your children's children, grandma and grandpa? Have you written down all of the things that the Lord has done? When the scripture says, look what the Lord has done, do you go, oh, I know what that's talking about right there. I've got it mesmatized. I can repeat it to anyone. I can tell people what God has done in my life. How has God's strength and power gone before you 18 times the personal pronoun i is used in this passage i delivered you i defeated your enemies i gave you food you couldn't get for yourself i gave you springs that you couldn't get for yourself i did this i did this god is very secure in proving his hand in history he's secure with that because he's god there's none like him he's the only one that deserves the credit for any of those things he's god he's very secure also in put in proving his hand in your life as well when you look at what god has done in your life what do you say say something write it down pass it on to the next generation joshua is concerned about the people seeing what god has done and then we head to the second section of the chapter verses 14 through 24 another reason to be faithful to god is because we have chosen to identify with god alone in christ alone we place our trust in Christ alone we place our trust. And Joshua is going, to, is going to test the sincerity of the placement of the trust of the people Israel. It's going to say in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Wow. Talk about a calling on the carpet. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, you want to trust them? Go trust them. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, and Joshua saying, me and the realm of all of my responsibility, fathers, mothers, grandparents here, soon to be marrieds, the realm of all of my responsibility, my God-given authority, as God has structured my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It is a choice 
that demands complete loyalty and integrity. It's a choice that demands complete loyalty and integrity. Fence sitters need not apply. There is no other God that you can serve alone. There's no other God that you can faithfully align yourself with exclusively. Integrity and loyalty, they dictate that we give exclusive worship and dedicate, dedication to a God who is above all gods. There is none like him. And what's the practice of worship and devotion that Joshua is calling his people to? To be faithful to God and to reject false gods. To be faithful to God and to reject false gods because it's a choice whose sincerity will be tested. Look at verse 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us uh, in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through, the, through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. They're saying, yes, we see, we recognize Joshua is going to test that. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Who do you have in your life that's testing the sincerity of your faith? Who do you have in your life that challenges you to follow Jesus? Is your fellowship with the body of Christ secure enough to where someone could say, how's your heart? Are you in the word? How can I pray for you to become more holy as God is holy? Joshua puts their sincerity to the test. Who here hasn't made a half-hearted profession? Who here hasn't been insincere at least once in declaring praise to your God? Joshua says, we do that, we do that. God, take our insincerity and put in there devotion and faithfulness through your son, Jesus Christ. Isn't the sincerity of your faith the sincerity of my faith being tested today, the sincerity of my faith was tested all week at Johnny and Friends as I watched, as I observed, as I interacted with other people. Are not rival gods out there serenading you daily today, suggesting to you that your God is not enough? And yet we sang this morning, Christ is enough for me. Our act of loyalty back to God is also a choice that purifies our worship. Because look at the next few verses. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. 
Our name is going on the dotted line. We're going to stand right in there in that promise. And he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God, the God of Israel. You see, sin has consequences. Drifting away has consequences. A call to commitment is a call to be spared of the deadness of my heart and the drought of my sin, living in an unrecognized land. So he says, incline your heart. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. Now three times the people have said, we will serve the Lord. Has your faith been tested? Has the sincerity of of that been tested? Have you come around and said, yes, I will. No, I want. And yes, I will serve God the Lord because faithfulness must be passed to the next generations. That's the third reason, third reason to be faithful to our faithful God. Verses 24 to 28, and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve in his voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all of the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you you lest you deal falsely with your God and so Joshua sent the people away every man to his inheritance our our whole message series this summer is called live well are you living well how do you live well well a part of that is in your holy commitment to God so that you would have holy desire for God so that you would have holy behaviors that please God so that you would reaffirm the will of God for your life so that you might live well follower of Christ today, recommit yourself. Say, yes, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. When do we covenant renew? Where are you God aloning? God only, only. None of the other rivals, none of the other fake sufficiencies. God alone. Joshua draws up an agreement and binds the people to a pledge. Now, I'm grateful that we live in an age of grace where we are being graced toward our faithfulness. We are being empowered toward our faithfulness, that we have God's Holy Spirit, and we can die to ourself and that we can live to Christ. And so the challenge for us in this New Testament age as the church of Jesus Christ is not to make a pledge that we cannot keep, not, not to, to commit ourselves to something that we cannot do, but through Christ do all things who gives us strength, Ephesians 4.13. Through Jesus, the faithful one who now lives inside of us, that's what we are drawn to, and that's what purifies our worship. When we return again and again and again to the one who battles for us, for the one who serves our souls, the one who can live through us, we are crucified in Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in us. He lives in us by faith. By the son of, in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Here's the point. The people were ready to pledge their loyalty without real examination. But if I were to come before this word, before this holy Bible every day and every week of my life, it would examine my soul. It would search me. It would try me. It would press me to renew myself and to walk in an everlasting way. Psalm 139 says... 
It would go on the offensive and it would challenge me as Joshua challenged the insincerity of the people Israel. Joshua says, there's still some gods in your worship. You say, oh, I'm really committed. I'm dedicated to Jesus. And I say in my heart, I know I've still got gods to defeat. I say in my heart, I, st- I know I still have apathy. I know I still have insincerity. And God goes on the offensive with you here this morning. And he says, I want you. I want all of you. You want to live well? Then what have you concluded? Let's take it to our neighborhood. And Jeremy, take us, come on up here and let us finish with that song, Christ is Enough. The first thing, this is critical. Any greatness you or I have achieved has come from the Lord Jesus Christ. Greatness comes from God and to us, his people, through his son, Jesus. And that's why Colossians 3.17 tells us, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's been done. Any greatness Israel ever enjoyed was due to God's grace and power. A few amens, a stirring of spiritual fervor is not what God is looking for. He's looking for living sacrifices. He's looking for people who die the death daily to the lordship of Jesus Christ. People who will possess that land of blessing. All that Jesus is. By meeting God in his word, by taking God at his word, and obeying God's holy word. Any greatness that I have achieved has come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Second of all, am I accountable to my choice to follow Jesus? How is it that we can deceive ourselves into some shallow commitment to God that isolates us, that gets us alone, where we can justify what we do? We pick and choose our friends, our bro- the brothers and sisters that we want to surround us with. And Joshua is saying to the people, Israel, you live complacency, you are teaching complacency to your children. What does faith to the end look like for you? Because it's going to say in verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. That generation remained faithful. The next generation won't. But that generation did. And finally this, how can my sincerity be genuinely and helpfully tested? What are your common enemies? Lust, pride, a deceitful heart, a glutton towards some of the things of the world. What, what, what are some of the enemies that you know get in the way? Hey, as you worship and you conclude here this morning, not only say, I will face I will serve the Lord. Say, no, I will not worship those other gods. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this body of believers would live well. I pray that, Father, that, uh, that through your word and even through the life of the church, that our sincerity in following Christ would be tested. We're so grateful for your Holy Spirit that gives us our sense of belonging to you and gives us our desire to behave unto you. We thank you for your word that shows who you are and and proves you faithful to us time and time again. We thank you for the experience of Christ in us that is also a testimony of your faithfulness. God, you are faithful. Help us to be faithful to you. And Father, where your Holy Spirit convicts this morning, Father, have your way. 
be glorified in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.